Welcome to the latest edition of the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast, brought to you by Qubit, the trusted experts in analytics. Our goal is to cut through the jargon and hype around analytics and data science and share practical advice to guide you on your analytics journey. You can find us at qubit.com, that's Q-U-E-B-I-T.com. Thank you for joining me today. I'm A.G. Tan. Hello, everyone. This is A.G. Tan with the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. This week, I thought we'd do something a little different and tell a story. So you may have noticed I have a little bit of an accent, and that's because I was born in a country in Northern Europe called Denmark. I've lived in the United States for many years now, and a couple of years ago, I received a letter from my old bank in Denmark where I had been a customer since my college years. And in that letter, to my surprise, they told me that they did not want me to be their customer anymore. In other words, they fired me as their customer. Now, let's be clear. I had not been a bad customer. I still had several thousand dollars deposited. I had not defaulted on any loans. I had not committed any kind of fraud. But then I realized I was fired as a customer because I was unprofitable. Now, this is kind of ironic because during my consulting career, I've built many customer profitability models. But believe me, I never thought I would ever be on the sticky end of one of these models. Anyway, that's our topic today. Customer profitability models and systems. And please stay with me. It's a lot more interesting than you might think. So let's take a step away from my personal issue and talk about what profitability analysis is anyway and why banks and in fact any company in any industry might want to do it. So let's suppose you're a bank and your top two customers are a pair of millionaires, Mr. Money and Miss Cash. Let's say that Mr. Money is doing about $5 million worth of business with you, including deposits, investments and loans, and Miss Cash is just a bit behind with about $4.8 million worth of business. Would you assume that Mr. Money is your most profitable customer? Here's the thing. Perhaps he isn't. For example, how do you know whether Mr. Money is paying more in interest and fees than you are earning from his deposits? Are you sure that the account manager looking after Mr. Money isn't giving him preferential rates or even taking him out to dinner at expensive gourmet restaurants on a regular basis? What if Mr. Money is taking full advantage of all the complimentary services that you make available to your top customers and Miss Cash isn't? How many hours of concierge service are being consumed by Mr. Money? Mr. Money may be really good at getting the most out of the system. Perhaps this is how he became a millionaire. So a customer profitability model is a software system that does the math that will give you a more accurate picture of how much profit you are truly earning from Mr. Money, Miss Cash, and all your other customers. It's conceptually pretty simple. You take the revenue, you subtract all the costs, and you get a margin number, a profit number, if you will. So for a banking example with Mr. Money and Miss Cash, 
you first add up all the fees that you charge the customer. So all the fees that you charged Mr. Money or Miss Cash. You calculate all the interest you earned from loans made to the customer. Now, if the customer has some deposits with you, you're paying them interest, so you have to subtract that out. And then, of course, you have to estimate how much you made from investing their deposited assets. Remember, banks make money by putting your money to work. And then, if it applies, you have to allocate the cost of the free stuff to the customer in proportion to how much of it they consumed. The net of all of this is your customer profitability number. So, for example, suppose you pay Samantha $50,000 per year to provide concierge services to Mr. Money, Miss Cash, and eight other top customers, 10 in total. She does stuff like book travel, book hotels, buy concert tickets, and so on. And, you know, you're paying Samantha's salary, so, but you're using it to serve your customers. So you could allocate Samantha's salary equally across the top 10 customers and reduce their profitability number by $5,000 each to get a more true, complete picture of how profitable each of them really is. But suppose Mr. Money loves this free service more than anyone else and reliably calls Samantha every single week so that she's using half her time organizing his weekend entertainments. Mr. Money's profitability number should then go down by half Samantha's salary, a good $25,000. And the other customer's profitability number should go down by a lot less because Samantha's only spending $25,000 worth of her time on serving all the rest of the nine of them. So let me recap. If you only look at the amount of business you're doing with a customer, for example, how much they're spending with you, you may not be getting a complete picture of how profitable they are. Now, we've all heard the saying that you need to spend money to make money. What if you're spending more money than you realize to keep a customer? A customer profitability model is a way to do a reality check. And it's helpful in lots of other ways as well. It can help you understand which parts of your business with a customer are profitable and which ones are not. This might help you do something about it. It might help you make the unprofitable bits more profitable. Or you may decide you're okay with one product being a loss leader as long as everything else is growing. One thing you certainly don't want to do is neglect or fire a customer who's unprofitable in just one part of the business but profitable in others and risk losing the whole relationship. And typically, you'll be doing this analysis by product as well. If you have a profitable customer in one area related to one of your products, perhaps they would be a good target to be sold another product. There are all sorts of useful reasons why customer profitability is a good thing to do. So, all businesses should arguably be doing some level of customer and product profitability analysis. Now, for a smaller company with just a few customers, you may not need to build a model. You probably just know. But imagine if you're a very large company, like a large investment bank with separate business relationships with lots of different entities of other large companies. 
So, for example, the person providing cash management services to the subsidiary in, in Iowa probably has no idea about the loan made to the subsidiary in London of the same customer. But if you're a senior executive and trying to figure out how to optimize your business, you'll want to see all of that in total and also be able to drill down on the details so you have all the information you need to make the best decisions to maximize the value of your customer relationships. It doesn't sound too hard, does it? You need to collect some data, do some math, subtract expenses from revenue, and there you go. Voila, profitability. Actually, it isn't that hard, but there is a small catch, as long as you have realistic expectations. There are three things to understand before you start building a profitability model. Number one, understand that this is a model and therefore just an approximation of reality. The better the model is, the better the approximation, and the more useful it will be. Understand, however, that it will never, ever be 100% correct. This is because the effort required to get to 100% correctness is probably not worth it. It may also be impossible to measure what 100% correctness looks like. You should expect that you are going to go through a few iterations with your model. You may think you know what needs to go into it. For example, Samantha's salary from the earlier Mr. Money example. But once you have built your first draft and looked at the results, you will probably discover something you had not thought of before. Think about it. A map is a model of the roads you should take to go somewhere. It doesn't look anything like the roads themselves, but it is still a useful approximation. Or, if you don't have a GPS and I draw you a map on a napkin in a bar, it may still be useful, even if the proportions are all wrong. Number two, understand your data. You may understand profitability modeling really well and have a beautiful design in your head of how it will all come together. In your imagination, you have a data source that tells you by month how much revenue was earned from each customer and from each product. Similarly, you know in your head all the different costs and expenses that apply. You have some that you can attribute directly to each customer and others like the cost of Samantha, the concierge person, that are shared between customers and need to be allocated. By the way, these shared costs are commonly called cost pools, a pool of shared costs. So, once you have cost pools, you need to have a way to allocate them. And by the way, allocations don't only apply for customer profitability modeling, they apply to every kind of profitability modeling. I'll talk a bit more about that at the end. So, getting back to this example, is it appropriate to split up the cost pools evenly, that's just a modeling choice, or do you use an allocation driver or a standard cost rate? Now, an allocation driver is just a measurable number that you can associate with each customer to calculate a proportion. For example, if Mr. Money takes up half of Samantha's time each week, the allocation driver may be the number of hours Samantha works per week for Mr. Money. Could be 20 out of 40 hours per week, 
for Mr. Money and maybe just two out of 40 hours for Miss Cash. 20 out of 40 is 50% of a salary. Two out of 40 is a much smaller proportion for salary. Now, that sounds simple enough, right? And it is, provided Samantha is recording the time she spends on each customer in a system and you can retrieve that data from that system. But suppose she's not in the habit of doing that. Suppose a system was never set up for her to record the data, the number of hours she spends on helping each customer, um, uh, on helping each customer. In that case, you might look for another allocation driver. Now, other candidates might be something like total deposits or total revenue. You always want to look for something that's available and measurable at the right level of detail. But then, poor Miss Cash who's a very big customer also and has a large number of total deposits, might get a bigger allocation of Samantha's cost and appear to be less profitable as a result. Now, this could be a tragedy because if she is considered to be less profitable and receives worse service because she's considered to be less profitable according to the model, she might get upset from that and take her business elsewhere. This is a good reminder of a situation where you have to remember it's a model. You always have to validate your model against other things that you know before you start making concrete assumptions. It's also a situation where your model might be able to be improved as a result of that analysis. Nonetheless, that's not to say that you shouldn't be doing the modeling in the first place because you always learn something from going through these kinds of exercises. Here's another common data issue. Suppose you do have all these data, but they live in different systems and are recorded in different ways. So Mr. Money might be customer 10101 in your revenue system, but he may be tagged as customer 98765 in your expense system. Now this is a solvable problem, of course, but don't underestimate the amount of effort that needs to go into it. So long story short, it is actually a very good thing if you have a beautiful design in your head of how it will all come together, but it is important to then take the time to test your beautiful design against the realities of your data. You may need to compromise on some parts of your design, leading to less accuracy than you hope for, but it is still a very worthwhile exercise and much, much better than having no view of profitability at all. Number three, transparency. So let's say you've built a wonderful model. You did a great design, you found the data, and it has all come together beautifully and you have achieved some insights about your customer relationships that you did not have before. Next, you present the results to the executive management team. You show a list of your top 10 customers in terms of business volume next to a list of your top 10 most profitable customers. And they're not the same. The room gasps. And then the questions begin. How did you come to this conclusion? How do you know that this is correct? What assumptions did you make? You will notice that Linda, the account manager for the biggest customer, 
is not happy to see that customer relegated to eighth place in terms of profitability, especially if questions about what she's doing are now being asked. Because profitability models are sometimes used to measure performance, they can become political footballs as well. My advice is this. Do not start doing a customer profitability or any kind of profitability project without involving stakeholders like Linda right from the start. Get them to agree to the goal. Involve them in the design decisions. And don't overcomplicate the model unnecessarily. If you have to choose between something that will make it marginally more accurate and explainability, go for explainability every time. I've brought you on a bit of a journey, so let me try and summarize the main points of the story so far. Profitability modeling in general is very valuable for getting insights into your business. It helps you uncover both problems and opportunities. Customer profitability modeling is just one type of profitability modeling, which is especially prevalent in banks and financial services firms because they tend to do a lot of cross-selling of different products. Like for example, if you have a checking account, maybe you need a mortgage as well. And in financial services, the concept of customer revenue is a bit more complicated because it's a combination of fees, interest, and other kinds of rent. While the concept of calculating profitability is simple enough, actually doing it successfully requires both art and science. I gave you three areas in which you need to manage expectations, both your own expectations and other people's expectations. Number one, remember that this is a model, something you get very useful insights from, and which helps you uncover questions you should be asking, but it is not necessarily 100% real. Number two, it is important to go into it with a vision and an idea for your model. You need to do the legwork, but you should expect to find that collecting and organizing your data to fit your vision will almost certainly require more work than you thought. You may even need to make some compromises on your design in the near term, but please don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Number three, remember the people. If you can't explain your model and the results it produces, you have wasted your time building it, regardless of how good it is. Our best advice is to get input and buy-in from the start. Be prepared to sell the idea. I have always liked building profitability models. For an implementer like me, profitability projects satisfy lots of needs. Curiosity about the business, creative drive, technical challenges, and interesting human dynamics. I did about five or six separate customer profitability models over several years at a large global bank in the early 2000s. My favorite was the cash management model because it involved an entire assembly line of machinery to process checks and payments, and each machine automatically captured counts of each transaction by customer which we used to allocate all the costs, including the labor expense for manning the machines and the cost of maintaining the machines. At this bank, all of the profitability models, of which the cash management one was just one, so all of the profitability models for each business unit were summarized to the customer level into a corporate profitability model that brought it all together. 
customer profitability was baked into the culture and was looked at by all executives from the CEO down. Another profitability model I was involved in was at a large regional hospital. The idea here was to measure physician profitability, particularly that of the most expensive physicians, the orthopedic surgeons. Even though they were generating a lot of revenue, they were also consuming a lot of support in terms of nurses and equipment. The board, which not entirely coincidentally included an ex-banker, wanted visibility into whether the orthopedic practice was really as valuable to the hospital as everyone thought. Ultimately, the project failed, and this was a very valuable lesson early in my consulting career. I did my part, I implemented the vision, and it worked well from a technical point of view, but the sponsors of the project, the business people on the board, were never able to persuade their highly paid physicians that this was worth looking at. I suppose if your job is to save limbs and lives, money is no object. Profity profitability modeling and the allocations that enable them pop up everywhere. Many companies do business unit profitability modeling so that revenue generating departments have an appreciation for the cost of shared services like finance, IT and human resources. In some industries, there are regulatory reporting requirements that involve allocations, such as 12B1 fee reporting for mutual funds. Excel is probably the most common platform for doing these calculations, but believe you me, once you get to any kind of scale or data volume, a profitability model will need support from analytics technologies to be successful. Lastly, let me return to the bank in Denmark that fired me as their customer. I think what did it was that the United States places regulatory reporting requirements on foreign banks with retail customers who are resident in the US. My guess is that this bank did an analysis and decided that the amount of business it was getting from me and others like me was not worth the effort of all that reporting and made the business decision to fire us all. From a business point of view, I get it. I think it was the right decision and an example of something that could have come from a customer profitability model. From a personal point of view, it was a bit of a nuisance, but I'm past it and have moved on. Thanks for listening. I hope this was interesting and useful. If you have any feedback at all, I'd love to hear it. You can reach me at info at cubit.com. That's I-N-F-O at Q-U-E-B-I-T dot com. Until next time.